quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The Labor Secretary steps down, the British ambassador goes home, and a champion speaks out. This is the State of America. Labor Secretary Alexander Acosta resigning after the fallout from the sweetheart deal he gave to Jeffrey Epstein. He's done a fantastic job. I told him that I thought the right thing was to step aside. The current situation is making it impossible for me to carry out my duties. And with that explanation, the British ambassador to the U.S. resigned. His insults had Mr. Trump fuming, calling the ambassador wacky and the Prime Minister foolish. I wish the British ambassador well. They said he actually said very good things about me. Hello, everyone. I'm Kate Baldwin in New York. To our viewers watching around the world, this is State of America. The unspoken oath that every cabinet secretary must live up to is this. I serve at the pleasure of the president. And this week, one more cabinet secretary realized that the president was no longer pleased. I called the president this morning. I told him that I thought the right thing was to step aside. That is the now former Secretary of Labor, Alex Acosta, just after he submitted his letter of resignation to President Trump. What went wrong there? It had nothing to do with his time in the president's cabinet, nothing to do with the job at hand, really. It has everything to do with his role in a 12, 12 years ago as a, as a federal prosecutor and the plea deal that he inked with multimillionaire Jeffrey Epstein when Epstein was accused of child sex abuse and assault. That very same Jeffrey Epstein was just arrested and charged again in a different jurisdiction, this time with sex trafficking, related, though, to these very same victims and more. We're talking about dozens of little girls as young as 14 years old. Those new charges put new scrutiny on Alex Acosta's role as federal prosecutor. Facing mounting calls to resign, he stood before cameras early this week to defend himself. I understand what the victims say, and I'm not here to try to say that I can stand in their shoes or that I can address their concerns. I'm here to say we did what we did because we wanted to see Epstein go to jail. He needed to go to jail. But even after that, it was hard. But even after that, it is hard. It was hard, has been hard to find someone to defend Acosta's actions overseeing Epstein's old case. And Democratic presidential candidates were taking note. I don't buy this. You're supposed to, as a prosecutor, do your job without fear or favor. And your mission is to make sure that justice is, happens, no matter who the defendant is, no matter how connected they are. And what I saw here today is that he first blames the victims. He says, well, they didn't really want to come forward, so I didn't want to give me a break. The Epstein case is particularly sensitive because he has 
long had friends in very powerful places with very big, bold names like Bill Clinton, who flew on Epstein's jet many times. Epstein was also friends with British royalty, and he was also friends with none other than a New York businessman turned president, Donald Trump. The president making every effort to distance himself from the sex offender now. I was not a fan of Jeffrey Epstein. And you watched people yesterday saying that I threw him out of a club. I didn't want anything to do with him. That was many, many years ago. It shows you one thing, that I have good taste. The president says, who says he has good taste, he is now also facing another crisis of his cabinet. Speaking of the taste of the people that he has hired, Alex Acosta resigning means that he is the ninth member of the Trump cabinet to step aside. That is an unprecedented number at this point in a presidency. At this point in the Obama administration, there hadn't been a single resignation. This puts a bright spotlight on a very real issue that this administration has, which is so many people leading government agencies who are not Senate confirmed. That means they have not been fully vetted or approved by Congress. And we are talking about major posts, the Secretary of Defense, the Secretary of Homeland Security, the President's Chief of Staff, the U.N. Ambassador, and the list goes on. I think it also reflects a conversation that we've been having about this White House from the very beginning, which is a problem with vetting, uh, which is also a problem with recruiting, right? The president uh, made a big deal about uh, he's going to hire uh, the best people. He soured on people uh, fairly quickly, even if he, they, they hung around uh, for a while before he, he, he fired them or, or, or they resigned. So, yeah, I mean, this is like something we've never seen before. And speaking of resignations, Washington was buzzing about a very different departure this week. It came after confidential and candid memos about the president and his administration were leaked. And by candid, I'm talking about calling the president the following inept, incompetent and insecure. That almost, though, sounds like the regular back and forth between President Trump and Democrats on Capitol Hill. But when those words come from the U.K. ambassador to the United States, it seems it became a bridge too far. We're not big fans of that man, and he has not served the UK well, so I can understand it, and I can say things about him, but I won't bother. Here's some more of what Ambassador Kim Derrick wrote in those memos about President Trump, in those memos that were private to be sent confidentially to his own government. Here's what he wrote. We don't really believe this administration is going to become substantially more normal, less dysfunctional, less unpredictable, less faction-riven, less diplomatically clumsy and inept. President Trump's response was, well, not so private and not so diplomatic, calling Ambassador Derek on Twitter, quote, wacky, a stoop, very stupid guy and a pompous fool, adding that, quote, we will no longer deal with him. The former British ambassador, another former British ambassador to the U.S., Peter Westmacott, says that is blowing these memos way out of proportion. Imagine if Ambassador Woody Johnson in London was to write back about how the British government has been handling Brexit. He probably would say it was inept and dysfunctional as well. You're probably right. But if that was leaked by WikiLeaks or the New York Times or somebody, would we call for his head and say he's got to lose his job? No, we wouldn't. A former advisor to the Obama administration also says any other White House would have actually seen this as a moment to get real with America's closest ally. 
if anybody should be able to give the U.S. president constructive criticism uh, in person, uh, for example, mm-hmm. it should be our closest ally. We have a special relationship. President Trump here is killing the messenger instead of taking a step back and really thinking about how to have an honest conversation with diplomats in Washington. But that is not what happened. The ambassador resigned, saying that the leaked cables had made it impossible for him to carry out his job, though the prime minister made clear she didn't want to see him go. I have told him that it is a matter of great regret that he has felt it necessary to leave his position as ambassador in Washington. Sir Kim has given a lifetime of service to the United Kingdom, and we owe him an enormous debt of gratitude. So all of this happens in another wild week in American politics. But maybe the biggest political story of the week was far away from Washington. The U.S. women's national soccer team, fresh off their record-breaking fourth World Cup win, taking a victory lap at home and sending a message, though, far beyond the field. That's right. Right along with chanting USA, the players and the crowd there during that victory parade were chanting equal pay as the team has been waging a second fight along with their quest for a trophy. The second fight being a legal battle to get compensation equal to what the men's soccer team receives. And in doing so in such a public way, the team has become a symbol of the broader fight for equality in sports and elsewhere. With the team's outspoken co-captain, Megan Rapino leading the charge, sending a direct message to President Trump, well, multiple times, but also here in a CNN interview. Your message is excluding people. Um, you're excluding me. You're excluding people that look like me. You're excluding people of color. You're excluding, you know, Americans that, um, that maybe support you. Um, I think that we need to have um, a reckoning with um, the message that you have and what you're saying about make America great again. Um, I think that you're harking back to an era that was not great for everyone. It might have been great for a few people and maybe America is great for a few people right now, but it's not great for enough Americans in this world. And I think that we have a responsibility, each and every one of us. You have an incredible responsibility as you know the chief of this country um, to take care of every single person and you need to do better for everyone. And it's statements like that that have some wondering aloud if Rapino has aspirations beyond the soccer field. And don't worry, she's got an answer for that too. There's no other place that I would rather be, even in the presidential race. I'm busy, I'm sorry. I'm busy, I'm sorry. That should be all of our responses to a lot of things these days, right? 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 Okay, exactly. (laughs) So here's what we're busy with today. Coming up, another cabinet secretary out. What does another vacancy mean in the vacancy-ridden Trump administration? That is next. President Trump marched out onto the White House lawn Friday morning, announced he's losing yet another cabinet secretary and losing yet another cabinet secretary because controversy is swirling around that person. And that also means there will be yet another acting official in the Trump administration. So why does the president have so much turnover, so many departures and simply just can't keep his cabinet together compared to past presidents? The panel with me tonight, Reed Wilson, national correspondent for The Hill. Keith Boykin is here, CNN political commentator and Democratic strategist. Alice Stewart is a CNN political commentator, 
Republican strategist and Doug High, CCNN political commentator and Republican strategist. I could have just said they are both are <laughs> the same. Great to see you guys. Thank you so much for being here. Reed, was, when, it com- when it came to Alex Acosta and what we've been kind of been watching percolate over, let's say, two weeks or even since February, because that's when this really started being talked about, was the writing on the wall here? Because Alex Acosta sure didn't seem to think that the writing was on the wall when he stood up to defend himself in that press conference earlier. The week. How many times have we seen a, a, one of President Trump's nominees try to stand up on TV and defend him at the behest of President Trump, yeah. defend himself or herself, and then mm-hmm. fail to do so, losing the confidence of the president? These, these press conferences end up becoming sort of no-win propositions here, uh, especially with a story as big and explosive as, as the Jeffrey Epstein story. I mean, their accusers are coming out every day. Uh, you know, there's really no way that Alex Costa was going to save himself, even with that press conference. But, you know, what was strange about this one, Doug, is that you had Trump shaking his hand, calling him a good guy, saying he's done a great job. Um, Trump thought he had done, really clearly thought that Acosta was doing the right thing in announcing the, in, in the moves that he was making. We, but we have seen similar situations where, like, let's take Jeff Sessions, when he, what everyone thought was doing the right thing by announcing he was recusing himself from the Russia investigation, then that was the death nail for sessions with Trump. What's the difference? Well, the difference is one is saying exactly what Donald Trump wanted and one isn't. And the reality for Acosta is just wait a week. This could change entirely. The press conference today, he was saying, quote unquote, the right things. But as we see, Trump has said a lot of great things about Paul Ryan. Not so much these days. A lot of nice things about the British ambassador. Not so much these days. So if you're any Trump cabinet official, you have to know that at the end of the day, he can turn on you very quickly. And, and God, you, you never want to be too, fly too close to the sun with this administration. It's best mm-hmm. to just to stay in your 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 lane and do your job. Like but, be Rick Perry. Yeah. Do you know who he is anymore? Yeah. Yeah. No, he's the Secretary of Energy. It's, it's but have you heard from him once? No. You know, the first thing that came to my mind when Acosta did the press conference yesterday, when you're explaining, you're losing, and the, to the lengths he had to go to to explain what happened 12 years ago. Uh, yeah. It was just a matter of time. And that, that was no, no doubt a Hail Mary pass. Unfortunately, uh, ended up being a fumble and, and he's no longer here. But today for him to say that this was all because of the massive news coverage surrounding this, it's more about the miscarriage of justice 12 years ago. And it, that should and never have happened. And that's the sad thing that was completely right. missed here. Because what right. Trump kept saying during this, I heard in you know, many different ways, was everyone can, you know, people will second, can, can second guess anything. But it's like, no, the Justice Department found that they unlawfully hid a plea deal from dozens of victims. And when Trump spoke about this, there was no empathy at all. There was no sense of concern for these young women, the young girls who were caught up in this scandal. Yeah. Um, just a sense of, I don't have anything to do with Jeff, Jeffrey Epstein. It's all about clearing himself and his own reputation. But this is a guy who has, I think, at his core, no fundamental political beliefs. I don't think he has any philosophical beliefs other than protecting himself. And that is his modus operandi in all circumstances. It's all about what's transactionally best at that moment. I want to get your take really quick also on the UK ambassador if we're talking about like the changing winds and all of these departures. Doug, you know the UK ambassador. Mm-hmm. Alice does too. Yes. yes. You both, okay. So both of you know, then both of you tell me why did he resign? What do you? What happened? I mean, we know what happened, but yeah. what happened? Well, ultimately, it was it was an unsustainable um, proposition. I emailed a friend who works for Boris Johnson the day it happened. Uh, the, the news came out, and I quoted Star Wars and said, "It's a trap," because if he stands up for the ambassador, well, he's creating a rift with Trump. If he if he doesn't stand up for the ambassador, he's a patsy for Trump. It was a no win situation. So is that why he had that weird debate moment where he would just wouldn't say anything? Well, that that I'm not sure about, but what, <laughs> it's clear that the ambassador made a a very selfless 
and frankly patriotic um, decision for the country so that whoever the next prime minister is, we don't know yet, um, will be able to start without that hanging doesn't over. It also, but doesn't it put the next prime minister, the next ambassador in a... T- like, what does the next ambassador do? He's... Keeps his de- head Not low. Not right cables? Uh, right. And the, and the key with what, what Ambassador Darrow did was violating two cardinal sins. Never put anything in text or email that you don't want on the cover of the paper. And number two, no, don't they, say that, anything like that about President Trump. But isn't Trump. that the point of these confidential <laughs> yeah. cables? They have to be able to be honest. I mean, right. the, the, the Diptel community, not just in the UK, but throughout Europe, throughout the world, is very troubled by this. This will be silencing. It's ridiculous. They and, should and, be and able in the to. segment you played earlier, if Woody Johnson is, as ambas- former right. Ambassador Westmacott said, if Woody Johnson is uh, critical of the Brexit process, uh, they would not react in the way. This is very Trump-specific. And Donald Trump doesn't give points. He only takes them away right. one just, at a time. Can I pose just like a different scenario? So you have like, this was a bridge too far. It's called calling him inept and insecure but then on this but then when you have i don't know kim jong-un calling him a frightened dog a dotard and a gangster he's writing love letters literally talking about their beautiful friendship i mean there's no consistency with trump he 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 will say bad bad things about other people he will allow other people say bad things about him if he if he can finally find a way like a dictator like kim jong-un to create some sort of relationship with him and he will not allow certain people to say some things if it doesn't fit into his particular narrative at that moment but i mean think about what other people said about donald trump his own secretary of state rex tillerson called him a moron john kelly said he was an idiot who was i think mattis said he had a fifth or sixth graders understanding of the world I mean, other, everybody knows that he's an incompetent. This is not breaking news. The fact that it just happened to be spoken and happened to be released, this it's information, just, it, is, was what's making it, it, what's it making to, news. To me, I'm going to give my completely just honest assessment. It just seemed that Donald Trump was ready to just get angry at somebody today. Like, because it could have been a different day and it could have been a, like, I really just think it was, he was like, it's time to fire off. Fire up the Twitters, everybody. Okay, stand by. I read you get the first one on the next round. The officials, the arrivals, what? The arrivals and departure lounge of the Democratic presidential primary is staying very busy this week. Could a billionaire activist shake up this race now? That is coming up. Louis Lamour wrote in The Lonely Mountain, there will be a time when you believe everything is over. That will be the beginning. Today ends our presidential campaign. You weren't in this race in January. You specifically said, no, I'm not running. Now you are. Actually, what I said specifically was I was not running then. <laughs> you did say time. that. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Okie dokie. One Democrat drops out. Another Democrat jumps in. There are still two dozen Democrats running for president right now. The CNN poll poll shows, though, that only four candidates have reached double digits in terms of voter support. CNN polls also show that Joe Biden is still the front runner. Kamala Harris, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, they're all basically tied for second place in the Democratic primary right now. And where then does Donald Trump's approval rating fit into all this? Let's get back to it. Okay, Reid, I will not break my promise. Eric Swalwell out. Tom Steyer in. What impact does this have on the Democratic race? Uh, the TV networks in Des Moines and Manchester are going to be a little richer uh, at the end of this whole thing. Tom because, Steyer, yeah. Tom Steyer is already spending some of his money on national cable ads and, and ads in these states. Am I but right? He, did he spend like something like a hundred million dollars in, in the 2018 midterm? He's he's been the biggest Democratic donor in politics for the last at least two cycles, if not three or four. Oh. Um, he's going to spend a lot of money. He's committed to already spending at least a hundred million dollars of his own money. But what impact is it going to make? Uh, Tom Steyer has been starring 
starring in his own television commercials in California and around the country uh, for the last several years now. He's never been able to get his poll numbers up to where they need to be. Um, and by the way, he's talking about reforming government, which is like his fourth big message in the last <laughs> half decade wait, or so. Wait, wait. The, the, the fact is, this is what Democratic voter is going to say, yes, I'm in favor of a, of a billionaire businessman with no government experience. What does that sound, who does that sound like when they've got this other field of people who, are, who have a lot more credibility with the Democratic base? Why are you rolling your eyes? He, he took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> Tom, Tom Steyer is, way, I, I, if you're watching, Tom, give me $100 million. I can help you have a better return on your investment. I mean, you're wasting your money. This is a ridiculous waste of money. He could use that money if he really cared about the Democrats taking over, c- controlling the Senate. Invest in his money in that, but not in a campaign that has no chance of any success whatsoever. I don't understand the point behind what he's doing. It seems to be an ego campaign, ego-driven campaign more than anything yeah, else. Th- this is not about elect Tom. This is about impeach Trump. And this is his way of not only using his paid media opportunities to get his message out there, but now he's going to be able to potentially participate in these debates and talk about impeaching Trump. And, and that's all this is about. The, it's the very interesting, transparent. The interesting part of Steyer's announcement, though, was that he didn't say the word impeach once. Right. He's, he's gone from climate change to impeach Trump to now reform the political system. You know, they're, third they're, or fourth time is Trump, right? It seems like he's in, in search of a constituency and none of, none of his issues <laughs> have, have yielded. Him. Right. Do you want to talk about Joe Biden or do you want to talk about quarterly fundraising? Got quarterly fundraising. We have Reed Wilson here. This is a specialty. Are you kidding me? <laughs> okay, then you answer, then we can fact check you and make you embarrassed. Okay, let's talk about the numbers because it is a huge conversation. Every Just for our viewers, every quarter, every three months, the campaigns have to submit their financials. And then we get to look at what their haul has been for those three months. And it tells always tells us a story. In the second quarter that just wrapped, it tells a wild story. Pete Buttigieg, the mayor from South Bend, Indiana, raised the most, eye-popping, almost $25 million. Joe Biden raised $21.5 million. Kamala Harris, $12 million. Bernie Sanders in there as well. Donald Trump and the RNC raised $100 million. What story does that tell me? Uh, well, look, Trump is a, is a fundraising machine. You know, he's not going to write his own checks, uh, unlike Tom Steyer, but he is raising big dollars and small dollars in an unprecedented fashion. That shouldn't surprise anybody at this point. But to me, I think the most significant numbers were Elizabeth Warren. Um, she outraised Bernie Sanders. I think that's critical. And mm. if, you, if you're Bernie Sanders, if you're Team Sanders and you're looking at when that... When you're running for the liberal progressive lane in this, in this primary. You have like. real reason to be nervous. Um, Reid? Uh, look, Doug is right. Uh, Republicans stop. know exactly. Well, have, Republicans know that they have a problem with the small dollar donations. The Democrats, through this group called Act Blue, raised a crazy amount of money in the 2018 midterms. Donald Trump is the guy who can fix that. And they're trying to build out their own sort of infrastructure, too. But let me tell you, uh, yes, Trump is going to raise, you know, $100 million. And by the way, it's Trump plus RNC. So Exactly. Okay, there's different legal differences. It's a little apples orange. They're going to raise a lot of money. And we're going to hear this drumbeat. Trump's going to have so much money. Trump's going to have so much money. The day there is a Democratic nominee, that nominee will raise $50 million online. Mm -hmm. And the next day, they'll raise $49. I I agree, except it's important to understand that money does not translate into victory. That's the, it's the truth mm-hmm. with Tom Steyer, no matter how much money he has. It's the truth with Pete Buttigieg, no matter how much money he raises. And, and it's the truth yes. with Donald Trump, who has tons of money. You need some money because you got to stay in the race. It, you do, but t- Donald yeah. Trump has tons of money, has spent tons of money, has never stopped his campaign. He's never been above 50% approval rating in the history of his presidency. But it keeps holding, buddy. And, and, it's still at 
percent. That's not enough to win. I know election. that lots of presidents would not but it wasn't like last that. time either, and he did. Another, you know, that's we're exactly in a very right. different world. Another big yeah. factor in the primary process is not just about cash in the bank; it's about boots on the ground. And if you're in Iowa, you're shaking hands and you're talking to people. That will help. That will help you do well in yeah. Iowa. I've worked with campaigns where we were just praying to have money to keep the lights on. So it's not about having a lot of money throughout the first few states. But once the field starts winnowing down, the Democrats really need to start bringing in money. Guys, thanks so much. You can all you. leave your checks at the door. Um, that is the State of America this week. Be sure to listen to the podcast. You can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or your favorite app. We'll see you back here next week. Thanks, everybody. You really... When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.